So there's this guy, and his name is Jeroboam, and he's a really, really bad king, but he did some restoration. Yeah, he won a few battles. He pushed the borders back, all right, opened the borders up for Israel again, made more space for the people, conquered more area for the people. From Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, listen, spoken through his servant, Jonah. Jonah. Now, have you ever seen a movie or um, watched a film or a TV show where there was a real suck-up involved? When you got a really, really bad president, a really, really bad governor, a really, really bad boss, and there's one guy in the office that tells the boss everything that he wants to hear? Right here. Jonah is supposed to be, and is by all accounts that we have, a prophet of the Lord, okay? So God is supposed to give him the word. He is supposed to give the king the word. That's the way it works all the way through here, all right? But there are two problems with that. Problem number one, we know that the people of Israel aren't doing right in the sight of God. We know that the king is not doing right in the sight of God, but they are being blessed because of something that Jonah supposedly said from God, all right? Here's the deal. I believe that Jonah came in and told the king what he wanted to hear. So he didn't get murdered, so he didn't get killed, so he looked good, all right? I believe God honored that because God doesn't want to be mocked and doesn't want to be a liar. And what we find out in another passage tells us why. What I do with this? All right. We need to flip over to Amos because it's happening at the same time. You who rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar and say, did we not take Karname by our own strength? The area where they pushed back the walls was called Karname. So he is now referring to the territory that Jeroboam took. For the Lord God Almighty declares, I'm going to stir up a nation against you that will oppress you, listen, all the way from Lebo Hamath to the Valley of Arabah. Here's what happens here, peeps. Yes, peeps. Here's what happens. You have two prophets of the Lord prophesying two very different things about whether or not the king will have success. Jonah comes in and says, the Lord is with you. Look at what we're able to do. Amos comes in and says, look at what you're able to do. Look at what God did for his people. But the reason that he did it is because he feels really bad for his people because the king is oppressing all the people and they are his children and he's trying to give them a chance to turn back. Amos is doing what prophets do, telling the people what, they're, what they need to hear from God and begging for their repentance. Jonah's just waving a flag going, go king, go! Two prophets, same king, different prophecies. One says, oh, you're going to be successful. The other says, God is going to wipe you out, and you're going to take the people with you. And that's what we find out. Less than 40 years after he's gone, everything gets so bad that the nation of Israel is literally wiped out and swept away. All of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, all of those, okay? 
Daniel, all, all of them. Listen, their books are about what they speak. Think about it. What is Isaiah? Isaiah is a long old book about what? Isaiah speaking into the nation. What is Jeremiah? A long old book about Jeremiah speaking into the nation. Amos is about Amos speaking into the nation. Every prophetic book in the Bible, book about a prophet, all right, every one of them is about a prophet speaking in, except one. Which one you think that is? There aren't any. Jonah preaches one sermon in his entire book, and if you look at it in Hebrew, it is five words long. That's it. Every prophetic book in the Old Testament is a prophet speaking. Jonah is a book about a prophet. Why is that? Because he was terrible. He was terrible. All right? Which is why I am lovingly, and I'm going to use a word that I got from Cy, titling our sermon series, Jonah the Jackwagon. She's a children's minister. She uses the word when it's for not a, not a nice, very smart, you know, idiot. And, and, and you know, I, Jonah the Jack. I didn't realize that Jonah was a person of this kind of character. I knew that he had made a few mistakes, and I thought, well, in my Jesus-living world, in my church-living world, he's Jonah. He's got a book of the Bible named after him. He's got to be okay. No, Jonah was a jack wagon. The book's going to start off with God saying to, to, to his prophet, not to some regular Joe, to his prophet, I need you to go somewhere. And Jonah's going to go, huh, no. And next week we're going to talk about all that happens in the first chapter with him not just saying no, but running away. Not just running away, but running in the opposite direction. Not just running in the opposite direction so he can't run anymore, but running across the ocean. Not just getting on a boat, but down to the belly of the boat. This guy is, he's ludicrous. He's not, he's not cool, and he's not kind. Because we find out later in the book that he's not kind, because he says, I knew. Do you remember the story that we told about the parable of the talents, and the dumb guy at the end says, I knew you were a hard man. And we're like, well, if you knew, Jonah does this hundreds of years earlier, thousands, whatever. Jonah says, well, God, to be straight up with you, I hate Nineveh. Nineveh oppresses us. Nineveh kills us. They are an awful, murderous city, and I hate them. And I knew that you were a gracious and loving God. And to be honest, they don't deserve it. Why are we doing the book of Jonah? That right there. We live in a world where we have become the judge and the jury for who we think deserves the grace of God. And this guy played it out. What does it look like when people who are supposed to be called of God ignore the sinningest of sinners? That's where we're going. That's what Jonah did. Jonah ignored God's call on his life.
to reach the most sinful people. In the city of Nineveh, Nineveh was a huge, huge monster of a city. Would take days to walk across. Powerful, hugely powerful king. Hugely powerful ruling class. Uh, material possessions spreading far and wide. All right? You need to know about Nineveh. You know what else you need to know? Everything in this book is backwards. If you could put literary focus, uh, an English teacher, on this book, this is how they would label it. It's satire, okay? Do you know what the, the God's good children are supposed to do in the book? They're supposed to follow what God says. They're supposed to be humble, and they're supposed to repent. You know what bad people are supposed to do? They're supposed to fight, and they're supposed to kill. You know what prophets are supposed to do? Prophets are supposed to preach and obey God. You know what people who aren't prophets are supposed to do? They're supposed to be the ones making the mistakes. This book is everything opposite of that. Everything opposite of that. The prophet rejects God. The sailors repent for what they're about to do to God's man. The prophet decides not to preach the gospel, but to preach what he wants. That's week three. The awful, horrible king, mind you, and the people, mind you, ready for this, and the cows, they go so far to play this thing up, and the cows get reverent and bow down before the Lord. Somebody is actually telling a story. I mean, it's literally exaggerated, a hyperbole. The king bowed down, the people bowed down, even the cows bowed down. This Everything in the book is backwards. The people who are supposed to do, don't. The people who aren't supposed to do, do. And we have to see it that way to understand what it's going to say to us. Here's going to be all of our biggest problems with the book. At the end of the day, you know what Jonah is? Jonah's going to finish by holding a mirror up in front of all of us. That's how the book of Jonah is going to play out for us over the next few days. We are going to be challenged by how we choose to follow God and why we choose to run from God. We are going to be challenged by the fact that we are uncomfortable when God's grace extends itself to people we don't deem worthy. It's awkward for us when the prostitutes, it's awkward for us when the murderers, it's awkward to us when, when the druggy folks, it's awkward to us when the super sinners of our particular society come into our beautiful, blessed congregation. It's awkward for us that the exact people who need Jesus are the people that make us feel the most what? Uncomfortable. The people who we think we deem the most unworthy. Jonah is going to hold a mirror up to us because that's what he does. He holds a mirror up to Jonah. He doesn't just give him one chance, he gives him two. He doesn't just give him two chances, he gives him three. And when Jonah still stomps off like a petulant child and runs up the hill waiting for the city that he has just seen repent, burn, God says, oh my Goodness, you are so self-centered. And he tries to prove it. Shade tree, oh, that feels better. Little worm, oh, the leaves are gone. Woe is me, God, let me die. Oh, my goodness, you only knew that tree for a day, and all that tree does is give shade. Hundreds of thousands of souls are right across that wall. 
and you could care less. That's the mirror. Church, why, why, why are there nearly 35,000 people in our county this morning and probably less, probably less than 3,500 of them are in churches this morning? Now, some of you say, well, there's probably a few more than that. Southam's going to run that much. Well, not on, not, not on the campus in our, in our county, and they're going to run about half of them. Why? When I first moved here, when I first moved here, the DOM called me, and he said, he said man, I, I, I really, I'm praying good things. Because any given Sunday morning, 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago, there would be 800, 1,000, 1,200 people between the four main Baptist churches in this city. There's barely 400 today. That was six years ago. Why is that? Because the Bible holds a mirror up. And it says, don't look at you in comparison to everyone else. Look at you in comparison to me. And that makes us feel like Peter felt. Depart from me, for I am a sinner. And we've grown up in a world where we can't be confronted, where we can't be held accountable, where we can't be condemned, where we call everything close to discipline judgment. And we throw our hands up and yell, don't judge me. And accountability went out the window. And we wanted Jesus to become what we wanted him to be. We wanted him to make us look smarter. We wanted him to help us get elected. We wanted him to help us feel better about ourselves. We wanted him to cover our weekly sins on a Sunday morning. And we wanted to hide in a congregation full of people that looked just like us. And the world that needed him saw what we were and stopped wanting that. The world doesn't need well-meaning hypocrisy. And God doesn't choose, God doesn't choose to allow people he loves to die without offering everything that he is, grace, hope, mercy, and love. And Jonah wanted no part of that part of God. He wanted to be called a prophet. He wanted to speak before the king. But when it came to offering exactly what Jesus had to offer, Jonah ran. And so the question is, as we go through this, is that happening in your life? Do you know exactly who you're supposed to give Jesus to? Do you know exactly who you're supposed to show mercy to? Do you know exactly who you're supposed to give some money to? Do you know exactly who you're supposed to take into your home? Do you know exactly what God's calling you to do? But it's a little bit uncomfortable. It doesn't fit your religion. It doesn't fit your way of life. It doesn't fit what you want. Then look in the mirror. That's what the book of Jonah is going to be. See, we're going to want to badmouth Jonah. We're going to want to call him Jonah the Jack Wagon. And he is. But he's us. And that's the part of this we don't want to hear. That's the part of this we don't want to talk about. 
Jonah has things in it like muffled apologies. Anybody know what I'm talking about, muffled apologies? I'm sorry that you feel. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sorry that you took it that way. I'm sorry that you thought that I was thinking while I was... That's exactly... If, if nobody's ever told you, that's exactly what Jonah does in the belly of the fish. He muffles his apology and really doesn't even repent. And I find it satirically comical that God chooses to drop him off where he's going to drop him off by throwing up. Think about that for a minute. Here's what I think of your apology. Thanks. Sound effects. Sound effects. We're going to confront muffled apologies. We're, oh, we're going to confront terrible messages. And trust me, Christians have a ton of terrible messages. We like to hold our signs up, and I don't want to be associated with those people, but listen, they call themselves the same thing I call myself. We've got to figure it out. I was having a conversation this week with somebody. And the bottom line was, I, I, I sent this response, and I, I, I don't claim to have a, 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 my head wrapped around it all, but here's what I do know. I know the single greatest problem right now, in my opinion, is that we don't have a moral center. We don't have a solid starting point for anybody to look back to and go, well, this is actually what's right. And this is actually what's wrong. That is our central problem. We don't have a center. Nobody will accept that there actually is somewhere, somehow, someone that can point us all to a right or a wrong. That is right for you, but it is not right for me. That was right for my parents, but it's not right for my children. That is right for churches, but it's not right for schools. That is right for schools, but it's not right for the workplace. That is right for adults, but it's not right for kids. And everybody's calling their own right and wrong. Well, what happens when your right and my right collide? How do we decide? We don't decide. We stand on two sides of a line and yell at each other and get nowhere. Jonah just wanted to hang out on his closet, put a picture on his wall, get the benefits from it, and not be changed not be directed, not be sent by it. And I'm just going to say that a lot of people in this room and a lot of people in churches today are just like that. Jesus is a symbol. It's something that you wear around your neck, and it's nothing more than that to you. And we're going to finish with a question. You can go look at it if you want. It won't make any sense till we get all the way there. But Jonah... The, the, the book finishes with a question, a question we never get an answer to because you weren't supposed to, because God won't answer it for you. You're going to be questioned in the next three weeks, four weeks, two weeks, 
I don't know, the next several weeks until we get it done. You're going to be questioned. You don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. Nobody's going to force you to answer. But you're just running. You're just running. So if you don't want to be challenged, if you don't want me in your face, next couple of weeks are when you need to miss. If you want to be changed, you want to run in the right direction, then show up. Bring a friend. Let's talk about the boat. Let's talk about the fish. Let's talk about the army. Let's talk about the king. Let's talk about the cows. Let's talk about the worm, and then let's answer the question. Okay? My, 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 my point this morning was to get you ready for the challenge, to tell you all the things you didn't know about Jonah, and to tell you that now that we know those things, it's going to change the book. And the book is going to change everyone who's willing to be changed as they look in the mirror. Pray. God, I'm just, I'm really thankful for our church, for our community. And God, in some strange way today, I am, I am thankful for the illnesses. I don't, I don't want to be thankful for the illnesses. I don't want my family to be sick. I don't want to get the flu. I don't want people to get a, 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 a media blown out of proportion virus. I don't, I don't want any of those things. But God, <laughs> I am convinced of this, that you knew this was coming. That you did not wake up several weeks ago and say, Dad, what's going on in China? You knew. And there's nobody in this room that, 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 that wasn't supposed to be here. And there's nobody at home that is supposed to be here today. Because God, your plans cannot be thwarted. And so I'm going to say thank you today for the illnesses. I'm going to say thank you for the confused looks. <laughs> I'm going to say thank you for the head nods. I'm going to say thank you for, for the worship. God, I want to thank you for opening my eyes anew to an old book. I want to thank you for the chance to, to, to love on these people by challenging them. I want to thank you for the opportunity to love on them by, 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 by getting in their face. God, I want to thank you for getting in mine. So lay on our hearts this week the word obedience. Stir in our hearts this week about being obedient to you and to your spirit. And God, that will be our greatest expression of love because your word says, those who love me obey my commands. God, give our church family a thirst for the word. Send them to the book of Jonah. Let them, let them drink of it. Let them eat of it. Let them uh, suck on it. Let them read of it. Let them meditate. And then let's find everything you'd have for us in there together. In Jesus' name, and amen.